Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 73. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jujitsu approach. And today, we're going to talk about stress. Yeah, it's in everyone's life. <laughs> Definitely right now. And for context and clarity, this is different from our prior episode. If you recall, a few months ago, we did an episode on stress and recovery. Now, there we were basically talking primarily about stressing your body. So the general strategy of how you build muscle and get in shape is to kind of stress your body beyond what it's comfortable with. And then from there, you give it time to recover. Here, we're talking more about mental stress. And I guess to some extent, probably the, the feelings and emotions that run alongside that, like anxiety. Maybe we'll talk about other things like that as well. So Matt wanted to talk about this because he was actually just talking to his kids class about this. So he took a bunch of notes, put together a good game plan, and we thought, well, you know what? We're lazy. We've already got a game plan for this, so we might as well just run with it. Basically. <laughs> so Matt, why don't you kick this off? Because this is your topic here. Yeah. So basically, you know, everyone knows what uh, stress is. And previously we discussed stress and recovery, um, which would I guess, be classified as a positive type of stress where we are building muscle and cardiovascular strength and things like that by doing exercise and going to jujitsu. So these would be beneficial things, but we didn't really talk about stress um, in a negative context. So let's just define stress right now. Stress is essentially the body's reaction to any change that requires adjustment or response. So, um, <clears throat> you know, you can, there's, there's kind of two different responses that I can think of. There's a physical and then there's a emotional and mental response to stress. So a physical response would be something like, uh, it could be something as serious as diseases, cancer, heart disease, uh, respiratory illnesses, rashes, you know, pretty much any, any symptom under the sun, um, headaches, lack of sleep, you know, uh, really negative things that affect your body. And then there's the emotional mental side, things like depression, panic attacks, anxiety. Um, you know, th these are all negative things that can happen when there's too much stress in your life. Yeah. So, um, you know, you can get stress also from three different main things that I can think of the environment, uh, your body, and your own mind, your thoughts. So maybe in terms of environmentally speaking, things like danger, uh, your career, uh, family, especially now we're all trapped in with each other. <laughs> anything, anything from the outside coming in that's affecting us can cause us stress and things like uh, your body. So things like uh, diseases or, you know, you wake up and you have like weird rashes on your body or you have a toothache. All these things are going to 
add a level of stress and discomfort to your body. If you've ever woken up with like a mean toothache, it's kind of the only thing you can think of until it gets resolved. And uh, it's it's unpleasant. Also, uh, stress from your mind, you know, your own thoughts, things like worries or anxiety or self-doubt is a big one. Depression. These are all things that if you fixate on and can't overcome, they have negative effects on you. So, yeah, it's basically talking about stress and how it can really affect you and you know exercise would be an example of good stress how testing your body and sort of stressing your muscles and your your heart and your lungs actually ends up being a beneficial thing whereas most of the time we talk about stress it's it has negative effects yeah stress is kind of like a dial and there's a level of stress that is healthy and a good part of ensuring your own happiness and well-being is to keep stress at a healthy level within your life now part of that means not allowing yourself to get too stressed out but you do also want to have some degree of stress because stress comes from challenges and if you're not stressed at all that probably means you're not being challenged in any way so there's kind of a a happy point where you want to you want to kind of have your stress levels and the way that I generally like to think of it is if stress is a dial between zero to ten you probably want to be running on average at about a seven give or take at any given moment Um, I find that if you of course if you go above and beyond that you burn out you make mistakes it starts to really take a toll on you whereas if you go below that you kind of get lethargic you get depressed you don't you feel like you don't have a purpose so there is kind of that that happy point like a dichotomy yeah 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 there's kind of like stress is like it can be bad it can be good depending on exactly how you manage it and to your point matt really stress can come from external factors like the environment it can come from your body or it can come from your own mind and it's actually very hard to separate out those factors because they all kind of work in parallel you know we think or we like to think that our body and our mind are maybe distinct or separate. But that's not really the case. Like the mind is is an organ of your body and what is happening in your body does impact your mind a lot. Similarly, we are social communal creatures and what's happening in our environment is so critical to our own well-being and sense of self. And it's very hard to separate out exactly how much our environment impacts who we are. So Yes, to to some extent, you can control your own stress, but a good part of that is also learning how to control and interact with the environment around you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, it's I I kind of think of stress as like we kind of used uh, like dichotomy or it's a balance. Like you like you said, too much stress, obviously not good. Too little stress also not good. And uh, stress can be a great opportunity for growth, just like growth from discomfort, essentially. Um, But, you know, now I think a lot of people are just sitting at home during this quarantine and realizing that they have way too much time on their hands uh, and idle hands, you know, can really create bad habits and bad addictions or or even uh, reinforce those bad addictions. And uh, it's important to stay occupied and keep things on your plate rather than just you know, we've talked in the past episodes about just using this time for nothing and not improving. You know, I've 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 gone through times in my life back when I, I had two jobs between the the gym and cooking, where it's like you're literally so taxed and so stressed, both mentally and physically, that you you don't have any time to just have downtime and not even enough time to to sleep at night. And then you know, as a result, your body starts to break down after you know a, a certain period of time like this. Whereas the other end of the spectrum, where you don't have anything really to do, and there's no um. You know, you're, you're just sitting around not stressing your body at all. That's also really bad and can lead to 
again, diseases, things like that. Um, like you said, being lethargic and, and under motivated and things like that, which are, I think just as bad. So, um, finding that balance and realizing that struggle is kind of something that we as humans need both intellectually and physically. Um, that's kind of, I think a good way to keep your, your, yourself happy because if you're, if you're not, con- uh, in some kind of struggle, you know, it, like, you know, struggle can be bad. Obviously, like if you're starving and you can't pay your bills and things, that's bad. But struggle can also be really good. Like if you go to jujitsu class, if you, um, you know, if you if you're making deadlines that have positive payoffs and you feel you feel the benefit of hard work done and, uh, you know, you, you, you feel like you did a job well done. Like those are all really good, uh, good motivating things that can make you feel healthy. So you need both. You need to have the struggle. And that's why it's nice to, you know, be busy, 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 and then have a period of time where you can like go on vacation or you have that long weekend or whatever and relax and then you go back. So it is constantly, we are as humans just regulating that spectrum of, of relaxation and stress. And it's important to find that, that medium and not linger too long on each end of the spectrum. Yeah, that's a really, really outstanding insight, which is that stress is very much a part of the human experience. And to some extent, people people need it. They do seek it out and it's critical to have it. And if you don't have any stress in your life, there will be consequences to your attitude, your behavior, and your mindset. Um, and health. Yeah, yeah. I was listening to someone talk once about this really interesting experiment that they did where they basically created an environment where people lived completely stress-free. It was like a utopia, um, but they wound up rejecting the environment. They were super-duper miserable, and yeah. it didn't work because that's not the natural state for humans. That's so right. they had to replace that environment with an environment that is actually a little bit challenging and stressful. And that experiment, of course, was uh, the Matrix, and the person I learned this from was Agent Smith. So, do you think he went through a lot of only when he got his ass kicked by Neo? <laughs> he probably went through a lot of stress making that like second and third movie because they, they really were not nearly as good as the first one. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, like on Friday we're gonna do the kids stream. We're gonna talk about stress again, and it's gonna be more about like uh, you know other 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 ways of how we can deal with stress and things like that. And one of the questions is like, what does a life with too much stress look like or too little. And this, I just want the kids to sort of understand that uh, that you do need struggle in your life. And like, if, if you take a life and don't have any stress in it, that means, okay, no physical activities, no thinking, just literally sitting at home and being in a constant state of comfort. And I think being overworked can be just as detrimental over time as being way too comfortable. And I think Sometimes some of the downfalls of society today come from the fact that we are so comfortable uh, that that we don't have to, you know, we don't, we're not working in the fields and milking cows and hunting and things like this. We're not really taxing our bodies the way that we used to as humans. And like you said, Steve, I think I think human beings are meant to uh, put uh, we're meant to put a lot of stress on our body, and that's when our body actually uh, is has the optimal performance and health. And when, when we are too comfortable, we tend to get fat, we tend to get under motivated and, and don't want to do anything. And, and it's pretty easy. You know, if you take a few weeks off, uh, and you, and you, you're sitting on the couch, you realize like when you get back to work, how hard it is to get motivated again, you know? And, and likewise, sometimes when you're super stressed out, you know, some people really hate to just sit down and, and take, take breaks, you know? And that's where, you know, we, we consider the term workaholic where people are just literally addicted to work and stress and results. And that's, you know, 
in in some way, shape, or form, I, th- I feel like we are both that. But it's important to also rest and relax, and that and that's that balance that really creates the um, you know a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. This is a really good point and something that I can relate to, having been on both ends of the spectrum. I mean, of course, I've had um, work environments in the past where I've had to really crush myself and work really, really hard, and it, it's never sustainable, right? Like it always results in you resigning and finding a different job eventually, because if nothing else, you're just going to build up so much stress and resentment of the situation that you just can't bring yourself to stay anymore. But on the other hand, there is also an in, an insidious and difficult challenge to being underworked. Um, I. I remember at one point I left my job and I went independent as a contractor and I actually wound up in a situation where I was making good money and having to work just a fraction of the time that I was used to working. You know, my, my work hours went down a lot, but my my income basically actually went up. Um, but the challenge I had was that, it you know, basically I was just cooped up in the house all the time and it was, it gets super depressing. You fall out of like a healthy sleep cycle. You fall out of a healthy sense of what normalcy is like. Um, and it, it really does take a toll on you and you kind of start getting very lethargic and and depressed. I bet a lot of people are going through this right now. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I think right now a lot of us are relating to that because we're, we're kind of all in this environment where we're just locked in the house. And so things like time and routine start to lose a lot of their meaning. Uh, At least for a lot of people like myself who do a lot of working from home, I used to be able to have a routine where, you know, I would, I would leave the house and go to the coffee shop and my daughter would go to daycare and then at home we'd come back and, you know, there was a distinction between my work and my house. And that isn't the case anymore. Everything is in the house because I can't go to the coffee shop and my daughter can't go to daycare. So your whole life kind of bleeds together into one big blob. And it kind of makes you realize how challenging it is to manage things when you don't have those boundaries between the different pieces of your identity. I think we've talked in the past about the the notion that you know, you kind of need to have three places. There's your home, there's your work, and there's a third place you go that is kind of like your social outlet, which for most of us is going to be the jujitsu gym. <laughs> and, and we've had to collapse all three of those down into one. And you can see the stress that this is putting on people, even people who haven't had their job like impacted in terms of finances, like even people who are still making money are still stu- super, super stressed out right now because having to collapse all of these different activities into one, it's incredibly mentally taxing. And Matt, I don't know about you, but like I find that it, it is a challenge to be working from home and then to have to juggle my duties as a parent, um, my duties as an entrepreneur, my duties as a business exec, right? Um, and to try to even merge some degree of exercise into that routine. It's super, super hard to do. Yeah. I guess Christy doesn't count, eh? You didn't even say husband. <laughs> <laughs> well, she, my, my wife is in exactly the same boat, right? Because she also, you know, she works and traditionally because of her career, a lot of what she does, uh, she's an author. She, she can do that from home, but it's very, hard to do that when you've got a three-year-old running around the house and I'm also there as well, right? So it creates kind of like a never-ending level of background noise, uh, which is kind of stress, right? You don't have as much ups and downs in terms of stress and relaxation as you normally do. It's just kind of this constant hum of stress. It's true. Yeah. And it it, it it gets magnified if if you're stuck in a room with you know, maybe you don't, maybe you enjoy being away from your partner or maybe you enjoy being away from your kids, which I think most of us do, you know, like 
very rarely do people just love being around their family 24 hours a day. I mean, it, it's great to go to work and then have like a few days sprinkled in where you're just with your family. That's enjoyable. But when it's like months at a time, I personally really enjoy it. But I think some people are are struggling with balancing that. You know? Yeah, I, I think you saw we've uh, we've got a family chat and my wife just posted in the family chat that our daughter said that she needs a holiday for mommy, <laughs> <laughs> which is true, right? And that's, that's not a sign of a, a lack of love or anything. Like we all need breaks. We can't just live in this constant, never-ending hum of stress. There has to be some degree of stress and relaxation. I mean, yes, there's times when you want to really grind, but there's also times when you need to relax. And I think part of a healthy lifestyle is alternating those. If you're always running at like 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 10 on the stress meter that's not good. On the other hand, if you're always running at like one out of 10 or two out of 10 on the stress meter that's not good either. There's got to be some ups and downs in order to give you that opportunity to have stress and recovery. And it really feels like we're not getting that right now. That's kind of like uh, where the term work hard, play hard comes in, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's as humans, we are high at, at our healthiest state. We are high performance, highly functional beings, um, capable of, you know, endless, limitless possibilities. And when we're not pushed to our limits uh, and we're just at home, it's it's almost like a, a waste of, of potential, you know? So it's important to have both ends where you are working really hard and also enjoying time off and finding that balance. It's almost like, it's almost like happiness in that you can't necessarily even ever find it. It's more of the pursuit of it that is yeah. that is the key. And finding finding meaning and balance is kind of the key, not necessarily ever obtaining it. It's like, you know, when I was working the uh, two jobs, I, I would pray for the day when I would have nothing to do. Like I would just, I would love that day when I would have nothing to do. And now I'm... I'm well, I'm staying busy, but I know people who who literally have that now and now they're praying to have stuff to do. Right. And I think the way that you can sort of counteract that is you look for things to do, whether you're going to learn a new skill or, you know, uh, improve your knowledge or your wisdom or you're going to exercise from home or whatever you can do. You really have to just apply yourself and, and uh, you know, motivate yourself, which can be super difficult in these times. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because you are constantly having your attention pulled in a lot of directions, right? I I think the reason why stress levels are probably running high for a lot of people right now is because you can't really focus on any one thing. You've got your family obligations, your work obligations, and just your personal obligations all pulling at each other, and you never have any time to focus. I mean, for anyone out there who's a parent, you can relate to this. Like, the challenging thing about being a parent is that you can never really focus on anything. It's, it's not that, at, at least for kids... A lot kids, of fires to put out. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak for kids above the age of three, because that's how old my daughter is. I don't have experience being a parent for an older child yet. But having a kid that age, like, it's not about the time that you have to spend with your kid. It's not actually that it takes that much time. It's the drag on your attention because you never get a moment where you're not thinking about the kid. <laughs> you know, yeah. whenever you're trying, yeah, and whenever you're trying to do anything, the kid is there trying to pull your attention back to him or her. And that level of stress, it creates kind of like this background hum of stress that's very hard to get away from. And, and that's why when you are a parent, having time off from your kid, I mean, I know that we all feel very guilty, like saying, I need a break for my kid. For some reason, that is like, 
like not cool to say, but it's absolutely essential. Like every parent needs to have time where uh, someone else in the family takes the kid and you get a break, or maybe the kid is in school or daycare and you get a break. That is so essential for mental health. And we've, we've lost that right now. And I think we're starting to see the impact of that. And Matt, to your point earlier, people, I think, need an outlet. And part of that is stress. And if they don't have a good outlet, they're going to find something and it might not be productive. And I think addiction or substances, I mean, even games, even beyond that, I was thinking like, just look online, look at the bickering and the back and forth that you see people just having these pointless, useless arguments about. Uh, And this has been going on for a long time. And I kind of wonder if to your point, it's that we've just gotten so comfortable. You know, in, in our lifetime, we've even our really bad crises have not been like existential to the point where we have to worry about, you know, are we going to starve? Our ancestors were used to a much higher level of stakes than we're used to. Now, granted, right now we're going through a pretty difficult time, but even so, I mean, I think most of us are probably going to be able to at least find a way to put food on the table. Um, it's, you got to look at like kind of where our stress levels are and where it's coming from. And when, you're just kind of like locked in the house and you don't have much to do. I think people look for an outlet. And I think that's why you see uh, tensions running so high on social media at the moment. Yeah. I mean, personally, I think tensions are always high on social media. Definitely even more high if you're just full on like discussing COVID-19 because you're going to get a wide variety of of people just chiming in on their opinions. And I made a post the other day about how social media, I believe, is more about self-promotion than actual uh, discussions and, and, and whatnot. But I feel like, you know, there are people that do go into chat forums with an open mind and those are the people that are able to, mm-hmm. to change their minds. But for the most part, people don't want to change their mind. They just want to project. So, yeah. and I, w- I would also argue, man, you know what we should actually do? We should just do a whole episode on social media. It would be fascinating. Um, but totally. wh- one of the things that I think makes it challenging on social media is there's just something about the internet that makes it hard to have a civil open-minded discussion. And this is this has been the case even before things like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, which I think have amplified it even further. But even before those things struck it big, there's just something about the impersonal nature of the internet that makes it really hard to have like a good quality civil discussion. And I think it just comes down to the fact that if you don't have that person in front of you, yeah, you can yeah, you can almost lose the humanity that you see in them. You know, you can treat them like some other foreign entity. Whereas if you've got someone three feet in front of you, you can tell they're a human being. You can, they're all, all of those social biological triggers in our bodies come into play and we start acting like human beings and we communicate and collaborate like human beings. But if someone is interacting with you through a screen and it's just text on a screen, it's very easy to dehumanize them in your mind. And treat them with a, a less degree of humanity and respect than you would if they were right in front of you. And I think that that's really the big challenge with the internet. I mean, I've always said if I could rebuild the internet from the ground up, I would make sure there was a way to like send an electric shock to the person on the other side of the screen. Because I guarantee you, if there was a, a threat of being injured by the other party, just like there is in real life, people would not say the kind of things that they do in person. Yeah, well, well, well I think... Um... Yeah, that reminds me of that Simpsons episode where they're all strapped to chairs and they're able to shock each other. Um, yeah, no, I, I, to your point, Steve, I think it, uh, two things. Like one thing would be there's a total lack of accountability in that you can say whatever you want without any repercussions. So if someone was standing two feet from me and I said, hey, like, you're a fucking piece of shit, I can expect that that person, you know, is going to 
like I could get, I could suffer physical repercussions for that. Mm-hmm. So they could actually punch me in the face. And I don't think enough people have been punched in the face nowadays, just just on a side <laughs> note. Um, and they don't realize that the, that words do have consequences. And we've lost that through yes. through text and social media. And another thing is, uh, you know, when you say you lose the humanity in terms of uh, reading comments and being in chat forms, which are totally just cesspools of of negative garbage. Um you lose context and you know i've i'm guilty of saying stupid shit online i'm uh, uh making and and texting people and saying stupid shit uh that seems okay when i'm saying it in my mind and then when i read it you know a few days later i'm like oh my god why did i even say that and and one of the main reasons um, is because of context and I could type something, uh, and mean it a certain way and it's perceived a different way from someone Mm -hmm. else. So in doing that, they've lost, you know, the saying, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And and so they've lost the, they've interpreted their own meaning through something when that might not be the meaning that I'm, that I'm intending them to have, or, or maybe they're just, they're just, uh, you know, when, when it comes time to actually debate something through text, a lot of people don't even want to read stuff. They just want to type in their own opinion and then that's that. And they're not open at all. You know, I, this is actually something I was thinking about the other day, which is that um, the thing that's made it even worse is going beyond just text. Like to your point, it is really, really hard to get nuance and context when you're just reading text. And it's made even more challenging because once you put something onto the internet, um, as the saying goes, who, I think it was Adam Carolla who said that the internet's like a, it's like peeing in a swimming pool. Once you put something on there, you can't ever get it out again. <laughs> And which is very, very true. The thing is, if I'm just, you know, sitting down with you, Matt, and I'm having an in-person conversation and I speak poorly, like I misspeak and I put my foot in my mouth, um, I can correct myself right away and we can just move on past and then you'll totally forget. But if I post something that's poorly worded on the internet, it's never going away and you can obsess over it. You can cherry pick it. It can get shared 10,000 times, taken out of context, you know, and then the discussion just devolves from there. And I think that- And you're labeled. Yeah. You can be labeled as- for a slip of, uh, well, I don't want to say slip of the tongue, but if you make a comment that you later live to regret, people can now label you as something and it can have huge consequences. You could lose your job, things like that. So there's, there is a term for that. It's, um, a very hard to understand term because it, it sounds fancy and complicated. It's called the fundamental attribution error. Basically what that means is it, it is a mental bias and a mental mistake where I look at something that you've done and I assume that that fully represents who you are as a person. So, um, a lot of that going on. Online. Yeah. 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 Like <laughs> anyone a, who's got Facebook knows that. Exactly. Exactly. Like you're looking at one little sliver of who this person is and you're projecting some massive belief about everything about that person. Um, and unfortunately this is super common on social media where you might have a person who is fundamentally a good person their entire life, but they make one off color joke or something, or they say the wrong thing at the wrong moment. And suddenly that becomes the way that their whole identity is defined. And I think that in terms of stress, I think that social media acts as a, a megaphone for stress in a lot of ways oh God, because, sure. because there's always that ax hanging over your head where, um, you know, if you say or do the wrong thing, it could get shared 800 ways to Sunday. And then, you know, you're suddenly the victim of shame. Um, and I, I find that just that combined with the level of hostility, uh, makes it very, very hard to have good quality communication with people. Uh, people are so fucking angry on social media. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's, it's like, yeah. it's like the default tone. 
yeah, on social yeah, yeah. media. You know, something I was thinking about the other day about social media. You remember in 1984, the book where they talk about um, Newspeak, where yeah. basically they... Oh, totally. Yeah. So for those who, who, by the way, everyone should read 1984, yeah. probably one of the most pivotal books of uh, the last century or two. So, yeah, but what, what it's basically about is like a communist style surveillance state. But there's one particular idea that's in the book that's super interesting. They speak this like engineered language called Newspeak. Which, it takes out like all nuances. Yeah, it takes out all nuances and it takes out words that could be implied to create ideas yeah. that could lead to something the government doesn't want. So the idea, for example, is like if I take out any kind of word that could be implied to construe something negative or bad about the government, if I take that out of people's languages, the idea is that people then will not even be able to express and therefore even really have that idea. And I remember when I read this book, I thought, ah, this seems kind of like fanciful and I don't think that would ever work. But I'm not so sure because I'm looking on the internet now and I've noticed that people don't even speak in words anymore. They speak in memes. Have you noticed that? Like I, <laughs> I, I've seen entire conversations where a person doesn't even post a single word. They just repost memes over and over. And or it's like, GIFs. yeah, GIFs, and it's, and it's like you are basically ceding the ability to think to someone else. You're communicating in the lowest common denominator and I just I feel like that's probably a big part of why the the quality of dialogue online has gone down so much. Um, but another thing on the topic of stress, you know, a big part of what allows humans to communicate is biological signals that you kind of need to see the person in order to experience. Oh, body language is so important. Yeah. And without it, it's like you're missing. Well, I, I forget the percentage that they say communication is based upon body language. It's huge. It's like it's huge. It's, yeah. it's more than it's than like words. 80, 90 yeah. percent or something. Now, now, granted, I don't know how scientific that actually is. That might just be like an old tale that gets passed down. But I think anyone who, you know, who has experienced public speaking knows that body language is critical as part of your delivery. The other thing, too, is uh, we all have something in our brain called mirror neurons. And basically that is that there is a part of our brain that is actually coded to register and mirror the responses of the person in front of you. And that's kind of part of the way that you show that you're engaged and you respect them. So you'll notice, for example, that um, sometimes when two people are talking, one person starts to pick up on and duplicate the signals of the other person. Uh, it's very subtle. And a lot of the time you don't even notice this is happening, yeah. but you kind of copy um, and it creates a positive feedback loop with the other person where you kind of align and harmonize and get on the same page. And that's essentially a good conversation. Exactly. It? And it's very hard to do that if you're just having all of your dialogue through social media. I wonder if that is a really big stressor for people that they've lost that ability to fire those mirror neurons when they're talking to people because we're all in quarantine. Well, we started talking about social media basically. Here. Yeah. I know that stress and human psychology go back to like the dawn of humanity. So it is not the case that social media is responsible for all stress, but I think that it definitely doesn't help. <laughs> you know, social media has a lot of good that it can do, but I think that people need training. Just like with any tool, I think that people need to understand where social media has limits and know the things that it's not good at and learn to work around it because it can be a very, very big stressor for a lot of people. For sure. And I've made comments and posts where, uh, well, first of all, I, I can't tell you how many posts I've written out and then just deleted it because like without even posting because I'm like, you know, it sounded so good in my head and then I wrote it down and now I clearly can see how even though I want these ideas out there, I think that people will take it the wrong way and interpret it the wrong way, just like we discussed. Um, and now I think uh, in terms of learning how to use social media uh, in a positive way, for me, it equals 
using it less, <laughs> using it sparingly, mm-hmm. because sometimes you'll make a post and there will be a complete domino effect of shitty comments that come in and it might not even be directed at you. It might be people getting into arguments on your mm-hmm. thread where you don't want people to argue, but you you just want a civil conversation. And instead, people are starting to take pot shots at each other because for some reason we can't not take things personally on social media. And as a result, it just equals in a shitload of stress. Unless you're literally one of those people that wants to see, to quote the Joker, to see the world burn, which those people do exist. And and they just love trolling. Like for me, when actually I post- you're quoting Alfred, he really? was talking about the Joker. Oh yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck. We can take that <laughs> out, can't we? Uh, <laughs> but you get it. Maybe it's because I've seen a Joker meme in its quotes, but and it's a picture of Joker. See, this is why you can't. This is why use memes. memes are wrong. Um, but anyways, thank you for the correction. Um, but yeah, like I've realized, like man, I could put something on social media that could seem completely harmless, and. As a result, you look at it days, weeks later, and it stresses you out. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like the amount of stress that you can get from posting something incorrectly on social media, or if you create a huge fight between people, like it, it eats at you. And I've mm-hmm. realized that like posting less can sometimes be the best thing. And yeah, I just try and post more of my kids and more of yeah. jujitsu and less of my own thoughts. Yeah, I think that the best thing that you can do with social media these days is just flood it with positivity. I really like this approach you're taking where, I mean, I think that that's one thing that universally benefits everyone. Just put as much positive stuff out there as you can. Um, I think a big part of why kind of like modern society is it can be so stressful is because just in terms of sheer volume there's so much negativity and confrontation out there and i feel like you can't let the bucket get filled up with that negativity i feel like one of the best things that we can do to combat that is try to flood the channel with positivity instead so that's a strategy that i think works really well and it is actually a good strategy in stressful situations as well there's um i can't remember if it's called the magic rule or whatnot but there's this theory that If you want to have a healthy relationship with someone, you need to have five positive interactions for every one negative one. So Matt, if you and I have a big fight, like that's okay, but we've got to have a five to one ratio of good times over bad. And if you have a situation where that is, that is out of whack or the experience is roughly good and roughly bad at the same scale, then that relationship is probably going to be pretty poor. So I find that people are very reluctant to just express unequivocated positivity Like people don't just like to post just a really nice thing or like congratulate someone or pay them a compliment. It can be very challenging for some people to do that. But if you do that and you make a point of focusing on posting positive messages, I think the quality of your life will go up a lot more than you expect. And that's not to say that you're trying to live in a fake bubble, right? I mean, a big part of working with stress is acknowledging and fixing difficult situations. So you don't want to lie to yourself. But on the other hand, it is important to focus on emphasizing the positive. Well, I don't mean to speak out of turn, but that sounds like some Bernie Sanders communist gobbledygook. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I think the Bernie Sanders' best use of social media is actually asking people for money. He's amazing at that. I wish that I could fundraise like Bernie Sanders. This podcast would be booming if we could. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, we've already talked about good good things that can cause stress like... Uh, you know, you get a promotion at work or your family, kids, uh, exercise, jujitsu, and the negative things that cause stress, like could be illnesses or little, you know, injuries, uh, being overly busy, not having enough downtime or relaxation, things like that. 
I think about approaching stressful situations in two ways. Like either one way you're going to, the stress will overcome you and you'll crumble uh, and you'll essentially fail or whatever, melt down. Or the other situation is you take a deep breath and you use your your ability to manage stress. And, you know, I think of that as a muscle that needs to be worked and conditioned over time. And stress management is something that uh, doesn't come easy. It, it, mm-hmm. You have to, just like lifting weights, you have to put yourself in those stressful situations uh, ideally in a controlled manner and from there you benefit from that so like those two those two examples I've seen them all throughout my cooking career uh, you know when the when the bills are coming in and they're touching the floor and you've got a million things going on I've, I've literally seen people online we call that on, on the line where people are doing their work. I've seen people start crying and run away. I've seen people slam what they're doing down pick up their knives and walk out right then and there and you know, which, which person are you going to be? Are you going to be the person that lets stress dictate your professional ability? Or are you going to be someone who overcomes stress and eventually can even use stress as a benefit, as a positive thing? And because I've decided, okay, well, no matter how busy things are going to get, I'm just going to take a deep breath and keep my head down and keep working rather than focusing on the negative of the situation and, and my own self-doubt and anxiety. Um, as a result, you realize, hey, I can accomplish a lot. I can get a lot done. And next time you go into that stressful situation, it's not as big of a it's not as big of an issue, right? And, that, and the same thing goes for jujitsu in competition. I feel it's the exact same way. Or if you're going to roll with someone who's much bigger than you, you know, if you if you are conditioned to rolling with bigger, stronger people, then it's not such a big deal and it's not uh, it's not something to run away from. So stress can be used positively or negatively depending on your mindset and attitude. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. And a, a big thing that really is a game changer when it comes to both personal growth and also just your general happiness level and contentment level is understanding how to leverage stress in that manner. Uh, And it takes practice, right? But you have to learn to identify stressful situations and rather than um, dreading them or getting anxious about them, you have to learn to get excited about them and look at them as an opportunity to challenge yourself and to grow versus uh, a scary thing that you have to confront. And it, it takes some doing. And really the best way to do it is um, by exposing yourself to stressful situations and getting comfortable with them. But that that is a game changer is like rather than looking at like, oh man, I've got this really, really big meeting and I'm so terrified about it. Learning to train yourself to think, awesome, this is a big opportunity for me. This is a really, really great thing for me. And I want to use this as a stepping stone to get myself to the next level. It's like having that abundance mindset where you look at everything as an opportunity to grow rather than something to be scared of that that is going to hurt you or hold you back. Um, it Now, that's not to say that every, every stressful situation is good. I mean, obviously, a lot of them are, are bad. But learning to shift into that abundance mindset and to try to to repurpose any event into a positive is a very, very powerful tool in your toolbox. Yeah, I I can recall one time actually one of my good friends in the community he ha- he's an amputee so he's missing he's missing his leg uh, he has his knee joint but he's missing it from the shin down and he contacted me and he said hey Matt like I want to do a private with you I want to do leg locks and I'm like okay I mean it's my job, right? So I, I, I'm not going to, most of the time, I'm not going to turn anyone down for a private, but then I thought about it and we had made the date and I was like, I got to teach this guy with no, with one leg, how to leg lock people. Like this is, 
This is something completely uncomfortable to me, completely out of my element. You know, what can I, what can I do here? So I talked to Rob, my coach, and, and he said, hey man, this is going to be a, whatever happens, this is going to be a great test for you as mm-hmm. an instructor. You're really going to have to think outside the box and you're going to have to like the stress part of this is how can you provide the value of, of the, the, the money that this person's giving you something that they can use. And I, and I used it, I thought about it and, um, I assessed his uh, condition and, and what is available to him and what is not. And I saw him recently at a seminar and he said, Hey, just so you know, I've, I'm still using stuff that you showed me mm-hmm. successfully from that day. I've seen this guy at a Naga tournament, heel hook somebody with two legs. Mm-hmm. It's fucking insane. And like the, the feeling that I get from that, when I think that I had something to do with that and seeing someone with a uh, seemingly a disability be successful, that is like, that was a crazy experience for me. And, and it was, I was kind of nervous going into that private more nervous than I've ever been because of the situation. And it, because it was something completely new, but instead of thinking, I don't think I can help you. Like, I don't, I, I, you know, I don't, I just don't think that it's possible to show you leg locks if you don't have two legs, right? It is possible. And there is things. And because of that, we both gained tremendously from that experience. Yeah. And that that's part of an abundance mindset. And that's a very, very powerful example. I mean, it's, you know, sometimes you look at a situation like that, which seems like just an insurmountable hurdle, but a, a powerful enough mindset can get you to some pretty incredible places. You know, a good example is Anthony Robles. I mean, he won an NCAA wrestling championship with one leg. That's insane. Like, that's a very, very high level of success to achieve with one leg in in a wrestling tournament of all things, it's doable, right? It's just about the mindset that you have. Um, so it's one less lever to control. If you think about, like, you look yeah. at guys like uh, like uh, Nick Newell, who's an MMA fighter mm-hmm. who's missing his forearm down. Like, mm-hmm. man, he if he hits you with that thing, it's like a fucking weapon, and you can't really manipulate it. Yeah, like, you can't attack that arm. Essentially, there's no attack you can do on that arm. So, in a way, if you look at if you have that abundance mindset, you can develop your own system essentially for how you're going to use that that disability for defenses offenses right things like that Mm -hmm. so it's it's really how you look at it if you just think about yourself like oh i just have i have one leg like i'm limited well then you're not going to grow but if you look at it like okay here's what i have here's what i don't have what what are the advantages to this situation what are the disadvantages to this situation you can really start to cover some ground and, and figure some stuff out Mm -hmm. Um, just talking about like some things you can do to reduce your stress. I think the main, the main concept would be the three pillars of health. And we've talked about that before, which is going to be exercise, uh, eating well and sleeping. Right. And again, exercise is an example of stressing the body. An example of positive stress. Aside from that, I would recommend, um, you know, taking a deep breath. And I, I do this any time that I get stressed out and it happens when you're at home with your kids and you're trying to get a hundred things done, you know, just taking a deep breath and just relaxing helps out tremendously. Making time for yourself, uh, uh, reducing, trying to reduce your self doubt and anxiety, uh, preparing for the worst. So preparations are a huge way that you can reduce stress. Uh, for example, before a competition or a fight, um, testing your stress management regularly, for example, maybe going on the, going to a job somewhere, going to, you know, big, important meetings, public speaking, uh, going to jujitsu class, rolling with bigger people. Uh, another one is doing what you love. That's a really important thing that we are all trying to do something that we love rather than just something we have to do, such as making money to put food on the table should actually be following something that gives your life meaning. Um, 
don't become obsessed with comfort. We already talked about how too much comfort can lead to some negative places, just as too much stress can. And also uh, appreciate when you have enough. And this is something that I think uh, not a lot of people uh, think about these days. We tend to get, what is it called? A hedonic hedonic treadmill, basically that we're in such a hedonistic cycle. We always want more and more and more. And no matter what we have, it's not good enough. As soon as we achieve something, we're looking for the next thing. Yeah, and this, this especially happens, I think, when people get a giant dose of success and they tend to just pursue it over and over, whether it's money or even women or whatever your vice is, it's never enough. And this is this is a great way to never be satisfied and never be happy. I think it's good to to never be satisfied in that you are constantly looking for that struggle, that next step, looking towards the future. But being unhappy with never having enough and making something like money your primary focus instead of uh, pursuing happiness and meaning, it can lead you to some dark places. So I think knowing when you have enough and become like for me, when I when I had, when I had enough money to quit my other job and just focus on jujitsu, that, that was like I won the lottery right there. That was enough for me. Now it's it's just like I'm literally living on vacation. And the difference is just mindset, right? So knowing when you have enough and when you can be satisfied is super important. Those are some really good points. Um, but on top of that, one thing that I would also add is, and this kind of ties into what you said, um, learning to appreciate the present moment, uh, basically being mindful. I, a big reason why people get stressed out is because they're obsessed with what's happened in the past or because they're anxious about what's going to happen or what might happen in the future, neither of which are really productive exercises, right? If you're obsessed about the past, it's already happened. There's nothing you can do to change it. If you're worried about the future, the best thing you can do is use the present moment to prepare now, right? And learn from the past. Exactly. I mean, you can think about it, but to obsess over it is is not productive, right? So mm-hmm. uh, mindfulness, learning to appreciate and experience the present moment is a super, super important thing for managing stress. Highly recommended as a, as a strategy. Um, but yeah, I think that here we've got a whole bunch of, of different tools and concepts that you can use to manage stress. Um, again, just to kind of recap that whole conversation, it's not that stress is bad. Stress is essential for living a healthy life. But on the other hand, it's a, something that just like anything else, it needs to be managed. You don't want too much. You don't want too little. You want to use it as a tool and not let it dictate your life. You want to basically take control of the stress in your life and use it as an opportunity for growth. I mean, we've talked in the past about this, but there's a great book on the topic, A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, which I believe won the Nobel Prize. Uh, Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor who, after, um, after the Holocaust, went on to write this book and create uh, this concept that he calls logotherapy, which basically is his psychological framework for well-being. Um, I highly recommend his book, and don't worry if you're squeamish. It is not like some deep dive into the horrors of the Holocaust. He basically uses his experience to talk about how to live a good life. And one of the things he talks about is that um, you cannot always control what happens to you. But the one thing you can always control is how you respond to what happens. So, and of course, that you know, being being in a concentration camp is one of the most intense experiences you can imagine of where that would come into play. But he talks specifically about the mindset he cultivated in those times. And it's a very, very powerful read. It's not particularly long. And again, like I said, um, it, it, even if you're squeamish, he does not go into the kind of detail that you would expect given the material. He makes a point of actually saying he he did not want this to be a Holocaust book. Like he wanted this to be about his model and how Psychology. he thinks. Yeah, and it's a very, very powerful book. He all, he, in the book, he talks about how 
like you can use mindset to overcome like erectile dysfunction and stuff like how men have come to him and basically are are lacking in that area of their life and how you can essentially rewire your brain through mindset to mm-hmm. uh you know like get it up again like it's <laughs> it's it's kind of it's a really great book uh mm-hmm. and it and it's definitely just talks about how um you know, finding the meaning in life rather than chasing things like money or, uh, you know, all those cars or houses or anything, anything material. It's truly a meaning that will bring happiness and satisfaction in life. Great Mm -hmm. book. Definitely recommend it. One of my favorite books. Yeah, definitely. It's a fantastic book. Also great if you have ED. I actually don't recall that part of the book, but I believe you that it's there. Yeah, I think he taught. Well, I know that this is. I, a, silly. A, I know that this is a very, very ongoing concern for you. So I'm yeah. going to. I'm going to assume that this is indeed something that you found in you. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, anything it really else? helped me. <laughs> <laughs> you might be the only person in the world who, yeah, who's like, yeah, man, search for meaning. Great book. Help me get it up again. <laughs> <laughs> That's. I think not the message that most people took away. Um, oh God. This anyway, is all on the internet forever now. God. Uh, anything else that you wanted to add on that topic? No, I think that was a really good uh, conversation about stress. Bottom line, stress is not something to be necessarily avoided. Um, It's something to expect and to prepare yourself to have the strength to deal with a stressful and difficult life is far better than to avoid a stressful life. Yeah, exactly. So just to summarize what we talked about here, I mean, stress is best thought of as a tool that you can use. It's not something that you're going to do well being afraid of. It's a fact of life for all of us. And the question is, how can we leverage this tool to better ourselves and better our lives? Um, Again, my general feeling is that, you know, on a scale of one to 10, you probably want to keep the stress dial on average around a seven with some peaks and some valleys there, given the individual situations. Stress and recovery is super important. So you do need time off, but you also need time where you're really challenging yourself. Stress can really come from three different areas, um, your environment, your body, and also your mind. And these three things really are very, very intertwined. It's hard to kind of isolate them all out. So these are three variables that you need to understand and manage in your life when it comes to stress. In terms of some strategies for managing your stress levels, exercise, super, super critical for managing stress, eating well, sleeping, learning to control your breathing, um, mindfulness practice, meaning being in the present moment, um, actively managing your own stress, meaning challenging yourself and testing your stress management capabilities, making time for yourself, doing what you love, doing things that give your life meaning, um, not being obsessed with comfort, and also appreciating when you have enough, right? Getting off that hedonic treadmill and being grateful for the things that you do have. And of course, going beyond that, in terms of the mental models we talked about here, of course, growth from discomfort. Really, this is the mindset that you want to have for stress. You want to be using stress as a tool that you can use to grow beyond your capabilities. We talked about stress and recovery, meaning that stress helps you grow, but a consistent level of constant stress is not good. You need to alternate between periods of stress that push you beyond your comfort level versus periods of recovery where you can rest up and rebuild and regain your strength. We talked about an abundance mindset as opposed to a scarcity mindset, meaning you want to always look for uh, abundance in everything. You want to look at bad situations as an opportunity to grow and improve. We talked about controlled breathing. We just did a whole podcast on this. It's a very, very powerful mental model and concept and tool for managing your stress levels. And also we talked about mindfulness, the importance of keeping a mindset that is rooted in the present moment and not being too caught up on worrying about what happened in the past or getting anxious about what happened in the future. 
So, Matt, I got a question for you. Shoot. Okay. Every gym I went to does warm-up, usually 10 to 15 minutes at the beginning. What do you think of this? It seems to me that gyms do this because it's something that is done. It makes sense before sparring to warm up, but does it make sense before technique drills? So this is an interesting topic because, I mean, I know that every gym has a routine. I know, for example, that like Gracie Baja has their like basically their warm up in a box and you can go to almost any Gracie Baja in the world and they'll basically start class in the exact same way. And different instructors have different ways of doing this, but it is very common that in a lot of gyms, you know, they do something to kind of get the blood going before class. So Matt, how do you structure your class? Do do your guys do warm ups? Um. I, I, we, that's a good question. You know, uh, I don't personally, when I run a class, I don't like doing like squats, running, uh, push-ups, things like that. Even I don't though, like doing those at all for any purpose. <laughs> I think they, they have their place, right? Like it's important to, I, I remember Braulio Estima talking about strengthening your armor and in that meaning, you know, keeping your body strong and doing the time to do these exercises. However, when you have like an hour and a half block of jujitsu or even two hours, I'm of the mindset where I want to get as much done productively uh, related to jujitsu growth, not necessarily conditioning or strength. I think that that should be done on other people's time. Um, And I know that in the martial arts, it is common to do like, okay, we're going to do 200 sit-ups in a, like I've done that in, in a class before. It's not fun. It doesn't engage your mind unless you're literally just building mental toughness, which has its own place. But, um, it's kind of an old school mindset. And I think nowadays, you know, the most effective training revolves around practical movements and, 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 uh, applications. So, Usually we will warm up with drills, whether it's a sequence or whether it's uh, fuck your jujitsu, which is essentially just target sparring with handicaps um, or, you know, uh, just just something that is jujitsu related, uh, not necessarily just push ups. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be something more like drilling or even target sparring. I think that is much, uh, much safer than just free rolling. So, for example, you could be like target sparring from the back, but usually the warm ups, I think. Uh, drills are really good. And by drills, I don't necessarily just mean like, okay, we're going to do 50 bullfighter passes left and right. Like I've done that as well. I think it's better to have reactions so that both people are benefiting from the situation. And uh, yeah, uh, that's sort of my outlook on the. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, at our gym, we've kind of alternated between a few different models. Um, Generally, we don't do calisthenic warmups like that. I agree with you. I mean, you can do that on your own time. You don't come to jujitsu for an aerobics class. Um, There's lots of ways that you can get good jujitsu related exercise without having to do burpees, for example. So um, my feeling is if you're going to do some sort of warm-up in class, it should probably be something that actually benefits your jujitsu, meaning some degree of actual useful drill or repetitive movement or something that's actually going to help. And it should be something that ties into the class, right? So for example, if you're going to do arm bars from guard during the class, then a good warm-up would be like the pendulum arm bar drill where you're just swinging back and forth, right? It's like it, it is related to the material you're showing. And I think a good instructor will find a way to tie the warm-up to the material of the class. Mm-hmm. Now, 
something that my instructor has done in the past, Matt, is, you know, they'll say like spend the first 15 to 30 minutes doing basically like low intensity rolling or flow rolling. And that's a great idea, but it usually doesn't work out in practice. Yeah. It's hard. It, that That's why I think target sparring is better because it kind of limits the, the dynamic aspect of of rolling whereas if you just if you just say okay we're just going to do light rolling and it's a you know there's fucking white and blue belts in there it's impossible to not try and take each other's head off even me as a black belt if i do that i'm going to be going too hard yeah yeah, and warm-up is important well that's because you're that's because your aggression levels are high from all the juice and the sauce right from all the tests that's why (laughs) that's why i just can't but apparently I can't get it up though. <laughs> well, that, that, I don't know. Maybe that's because you took a break and now you have no testosterone. Yeah, my testes have shriveled up. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I generally agree that it is just, it's not realistic to tell people just flow roll for 15 to 30 minutes because people are here because they want to do jujitsu. Eventually they're just going to do jujitsu. Yeah. I think that if you put boxes around what they can and can't do, like say, for example, um, what I'll see a lot of people do is like, we're only doing guard passing as soon as there's a pass reset and person on top can't use their hands or something like that, right? If you put some restrictions around that, it kind of tailors the exercise into a certain funnel and it prevents people from getting too intense. Uh, but yeah, like I said, I think that the best warmups are ultimately technique driven and they tie into the material you're going to cover in the class. That's one of the things I disagree with about like the Gracie Baja thing. I, I think that their like structured warm-up routine doesn't really, I mean, you get a good workout out of it, but I don't really think it's necessarily helpful for your jujitsu. Yeah, because really you only have a certain amount of time to get better at jujitsu and it could be you could get a great warm-up just from doing jujitsu exercises exactly i mean the thing to bear in mind too is like at most gyms class is probably an hour to an hour and a half i mean especially if you're in a one-hour class like you don't have a moment to waste you don't want to be wasting 15 minutes doing push-ups like that is just a waste of everyone's time or even longer some people some classes i've been to that like like half hour or longer of warm-up yeah it's like hey if i wanted to be jacked i would do crossfit not jujitsu i took jujitsu because i want to be a lazy fat ass who can kick your ass without standing up that's big like, <laughs> i don't even want to have to get up on my feet that's why i took jujitsu uh okay cool so i think that was a good chat matt and i hope that answers that question i hope you also find these tools to be useful during these these times which of course are stressful and as always if you have any stories um about what what's going on with you right now how you're coping uh or any strategies that have worked for you we definitely love to hear them so as always please do write in please share please do be part of the bjj mental models community um, of course, as you know, Matt, we are now one of the best, officially one of the best jujitsu podcasts in the world. I've been saying that for a year anyway, but now it's it's fact. Should we do our shameless plugs? Oh, yeah, of course. I just wanted to talk about how great we are first. Yeah. Yeah, we're pretty great. Don't let it go to your head. It's, it's just it's just fact. It's objective. Uh, for what I'm talking about, by the way, is there was like a, one outlet said that. Yeah. Some, some blog posted uh, like a list of the the top jujitsu podcasts in the world and we were up there. So hooray. As long as we're above Matt Byrne, which we were, that's all I care about. Yeah. It's all about consistency, you know. <laughs> yeah. we, we we are pretty disciplined and try and provide every week. So yeah, yeah, yeah. hopefully it pays off. And now you can provide back to us because we've got a Patreon. As you know, if you go to patreon.com slash BJJ Mental Models, you can uh, provide very, very valuable and helpful financial support to the podcast. And of course, at the higher tiers, you get access to premium content. We're in the process of putting together a seven-part course on game planning, which is available there in similar audio format 
that to the actual show. Feedback on that has been super duper positive. So if you want access to that and if you just want to support the show, that's absolutely the best way to do it. Um, so again, patreon.com slash BJJ Mental Models. Very helpful. And I mean, if you're not supporting us, really, what are you doing with your life? Like, you know, you're, you're basically living a lie. If you're listening to this show and you're not giving back, you know, you're just, you're a shell of a human being. And you're probably a Bernie Sanders supporter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll give me money. I'll support the podcast. You know, I've never act. That was actually a really, really solid Bernie Sanders impression. <laughs> Matt is very good at impressions, by the way, in case you haven't gathered. Um, going beyond that, if you want uh, more content from us, bjjmentalmodels.com. That's kind of the mothership for the website. Uh, if you go there, that's where we've got a full database of all of the concepts that we talk about here. You can also contact us through the form on the site. If you go to bjjmentalmodels.com slash join, you can join our mailing list. Every Friday, we blast out more content beyond what we talk about here on the show. If you go to bjjmentalmodels.com slash store, you can pick up our merch. Uh, we've got t-shirts, we've got gee patches, and we now have hoodies. Very exciting news. Uh, we're adding a bunch more stuff to the store too, so I'll be posting some updates uh, regarding the new stuff on social media. And you can also follow us there on Facebook and Instagram if you want to see what we're up to or engage in a dehumanizing debate with us about basically anything. You know, yeah. we're, we're happy to just shellack you verbally on Facebook. So please do feel free to reach out to us there too. Cool. Awesome. It is funny because that is one of the things I notice about like people sending you messages online. They just, they speak in a way that you would never speak to someone in real life. And every time I follow up with one of these people and ask them like, why did you say that? It always comes out that they never meant it to sound that way. It just did. But I've noticed like people will talk in a very inhumane way where they'll, they'll talk to me like, do not do this. Do not do this. You Absolute. should not do this. I'm yeah. guilty of it. Too. Yeah. But if you reply to them and be like, geez, I was a little bit harsh. They'll come back and say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't intend it so that way. True. So it's like, you kind of realize Facebook, social media, these things can be very dehumanizing. And I would say, just be wary of that when you're talking to people on there and remember the human on the other side of the keyboard. Hey, you know what? We should save this for the social media episode. Definitely. Awesome. Okay, well, let's put a bow on this one. Thanks a lot, guys, for everything. Um, stay safe out there. Stay quarantined. Hopefully we get back to normal relatively soon. All right, guys, this is Matt sounding off. And I'm Bonnie Sanders. Everybody, take care.